Welcome back to the Most Illegal Podcast, a show where we share the untold stories of people who make law firms operate. I'm your co-host, Rob Joyner, CRO at Centerbase, and somehow our little show got lucky enough to welcome someone who has not only exemplified strength and resilience, but has acutely demonstrated what it looks like to never give up. Not to mention, he'll also be a headline speaker at this year's Association of Legal Administrators Annual Conference. And I'm Amanda Copeless, the Executive Director for Sheffield, Lowman & Wilson, based in Central Florida. This week's guest came to us courtesy of Kyle Wygan through his role as president of the Foundation of Legal Administrators. When Kyle called to tell me that the foundation had secured Inky Johnson as a speaker for their Brazina Memorial Session and that they had asked him to be on an episode of our podcast, I was speechless. And we all know I'm never speechless. Inky Johnson is one of the most highly sought after speakers in the world. After suffering a career-ending, life-threatening injury, Inky saw his NFL dreams vanish, and he had to pivot into something greater. He calls it serendipity, and we agree. Before we get started, we want to thank our podcast sponsor, Centerbase, software built to power the growth of mid-sized law firms. Let's dive in. Today, we're talking to Inky Johnson. He has a master's degree in sports psychology from the University of Texas. Oh, my God. <laughs> FYI, I am from Texas. Saying <laughs> University of Tennessee, those words are like not coming out. Oh, yeah, you know? absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I get it. Sorry, get University it. of Tennessee, not the great state of Texas, uh, where you were starting cornerback on the football team. And so I'm going to let you tell a little bit about your story, but okay. we want to know how the entire course of your life changed in one minute. Absolutely. And so first, first and foremost, I want to say it's an extreme honor and privilege to be on with you guys. I greatly appreciate it. But I grew up in the city of Atlanta, uh, born to a mother at 16 years old. Uh, she took me back to 125 Warren, two-bedroom home, 14 people, and had dreams and aspirations to change my family's life. You know, and I felt as if at an early age, football was the vehicle to help me do that. And so I was blessed with an extreme level of talent. And ended up becoming the first one in my family to go to college to the University of Tennessee and was playing football at a very high level. Uh, looked as if I was about to be a projected draft pick to make it to the NFL. And in my junior season, I went out, game against Air Force, a routine tackle that I had made probably over a thousand times in my life. But for some strange reason, September 9, 2006, this tackle altered my life. You know, it ended up changing my life. It almost ultimately ended my life, but it left me with a paralyzed right arm and hand. It ended my football career, and it made me look at my life with a different purpose, different mission, and different perspective. And so the game of football is um, something that I look at that I'm very thankful and grateful for, but a lot of people view my situation as a tragedy and view my situation as something terrible, but I look at my situation as the ultimate blessing. That's an awesome way to start on that. And I think there's some of it is a blessing because you have a podcast and you had Cam Newton as a guest. And I failed on that entire episode. Yeah, that's my guy. <laughs> Absolutely. That's my guy. Yeah. I'm like, oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> Inky, how long did it take you? You know, you're talking about your football career ending and how you've transitioned your career. How long did it take you to change that frame of mind and get over the tragedy or past it? It took a while, man. It took um, almost three years, you know, to be completely honest, because I was in the process of 
just trying to understand it and grasp it. For a while, it felt as if it was a bad dream, right? Because when you work for something your whole life, as you guys know, when you dedicate yourself to something, when you put forth effort, dedication, and commitment toward a dream, a goal, or aspiration, and it doesn't turn out the way you want it to, that's one thing. But when something doesn't turn out the way you want it to and it alters your life, that's a totally different situation. And I always say to people, people usually can plan for things, right? Like if something happens, you can plan and you can see the end coming, especially for a lot of athletes. Well, my career ended overnight, right? And I couldn't plan for it. And so I always say to people, when things happen, opposition, adversity, challenges, don't try to understand it, right? Because we always want to understand, why did this happen to me? Why am I going through this? And I always say, don't try to understand it right away because you might go through something so tough that you're not going to understand it. And I always say to people, man, just survive it, right? Do your best to survive the moment. And once you get in a place of peace, go back, evaluate it, start extracting things from it and see how you can add value to the world, to environments and to people. But it took me about three years, right? Because I was trying to understand it. I wanted to understand like, man, why is this happening? What's going on? And then I got to a place where I was like, you know what? Let me shift this energy, man, and just survive this moment so I can use it. Was it have, was there just like a moment that it snapped? I was going to ask like, that. Clicked? Oh. Well, sorry, Amanda, yeah, but sorry, was there a moment it just clicked? Yeah, or, man. Or what it, it what did. was that emotion like? Yeah, I, I started to evaluate how it was impacting those around me and those I was connected to, right? Because when we go through things, especially if it's something that happens to us, directly and sometimes indirectly. But when things happen to us directly, right, we, we think about ourselves a lot, right? And so I was thinking about like, man, I got atrophy in my arm, right? I got a paralyzed right arm and hand. I was a four sport athlete my whole life prior to college. And now I can't play a sport at all. And so I was thinking about myself a lot. And I started to step back and just evaluate how this situation was impacting those I was connected to and those that, that I was around, like right? it made guys stop taking what they were doing for granted, right? It made my mother and my father start talking again. And then I started to view it differently and realize that this situation, if I handled it in the right way, it could serve a purpose that was a lot greater than myself. One of the stories you told me that really resonated was the one about how you had always imagined being in the swimming pool and throwing your kids up with both of your yeah, arms and how, and how the, the realization that that was going to be much more difficult really hit home for you. So before I steal your whole story, can you, can you share that with us a little bit? Yeah, that was uh, that was a really tough moment for me because a lot of times when, when something like this happens, people often gravitate to the train of thought that, oh man, you can't play. You're really going to miss the game. And yeah, of course. You're going to miss it, but it's other things in life that people never hear about, people never think about, that's of more importance to that person maybe, right? It opens your perspective. And so when I was a kid, like I used to go across the tracks in my neighborhood and it was a swimming pool, right? And sometimes they charge kids to get in. And so, of course, I didn't have the money, so I would just walk by. And some of the things that I would see, like a father throwing up a kid, catching them in the pool. Like I used to always be like, man, I can't wait until I get children one day my family and I can throw my kids up and I can catch them, right? When you think of the image of a kid getting thrown up by an adult, they laugh. It's just a beautiful image. It was something right. that I always looked forward to because I never experienced that as a kid. And so when my arm got paralyzed, one of the things that I thought about was, man, like one day if I'm blessed with a family, I'll never get to throw my kids up and catch them, you know? And so that was one of the things that I thought about, even hugging my mother, my wife, my children, 
with two arms, something that we often take for granted every single day. That's something that I think about often, right? I got three little sisters. Like I wish I can hug them sometimes with two arms. I wish I can put them on my back. I wish I could put my kids on my back. And so just the simple things in life that you think about that people may not always think about or appreciate. Man, that hit home for me. Uh, <laughs> Rob has two adorable, beautiful little kids, twins yeah, that are it, four. So, <laughs> And you're right. I mean, that's nice. one of those moments where you probably do take that for granted and in, in throwing, throwing them up in the air and getting to do some of that. I mean, how did you you know, shift that perspective to, to looking at everything, these small things and really appreciating them. Is there anything that you do? You know, some people have a routine where they, they journal the, the things they're grateful mm-hmm. for. Is there anything that you did once you realized, Hey, I need to start taking, uh, really being thankful for these, these, these small things as well. Absolutely. Like, I think, um, I think Rob, when we go through things in life that we can't control, it puts us in an interesting space and place. Right. And oftentimes as people, we want control of life, of situations. And sometimes people want control of people. But when you go through something that you can't control, you just got to step back. You got to release it and you got to figure out how to navigate it. And so one of the ways that I was able to get through what I was going through and shift my perspective, I journal a lot. I still journal till this day. And so I would always just journal my thoughts. I would journal and I would always read them. And I feel like it's a powerful thing when you journal, when you read your own handwriting, I feel like it comes with conviction. It comes with inspiration. It comes with encouragement. It comes with motivation. And I'm very transparent in my journal, right? About things that I feared, about things that I was inspired by, about things that I needed to do better. And so I still journal until this day. My method has changed quite a bit because, you know, I have two children. I have a 10-year-old son, 11-year-old daughter, me and my wife. And so now I journal to myself. I journal to each of my children and also journal to my wife. That's special. Do you share those with them? Yeah. Do you share them? I haven't yet. Yeah, yeah. I haven't Mm. yet. I'm saving them. I don't know uh, when I'm going to give them to them, but I haven't haven't shared it with them yet. That's awesome. My little journal is right in the middle of all my work notes. So it's like top 10 things I have to do today. And then I, I use a bullet journal and I put a really small little something that happened or it's inspirational. But when I go in order to find all that stuff, they're going to have to read through pages and pages of things about insurance and taxes. And then there's going to be little <laughs> notes. Like, I really should be. Valuable. That's valuable information. Though. That's valuable information. It Absolutely. is valuable. It is valuable. But that's interesting that you journal to your kids and, and, and your wife mm-hmm. as well. It, it just, again, it goes back to that perspective and how you're, you're looking at relationships. And sometimes I think, you know, I have young kids, as Amanda mentioned, and you just get so bogged down by all the helping them get dressed, helping them eat, dealing with temper tantrums Absolutely. that you don't take that time. You know, I just traveled and it's like, I actually, you know, I, I miss them. And you don't take that time Absolutely. on a daily basis to really think about everything you appreciate and what you have. I, I really Absolutely. like that. Yeah. And also can- like, Nope. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to. Uh-uh. Say, I was just going to say, and also like, um, like when my injury happened, like mm-hmm. oftentimes as people, we don't like to think about death or situations such as that. But when my injury happened, my life was really on the line, right? So I, I ruptured my subclavian artery and I was bleeding internally, and so they had to perform life saving surgery. They had to take the main vein out of my left leg and plug it into my chest in order to save my life. And so when I came through that. Yeah, it was a sense of hurt, like, man, I can't play, but it was a heavy sense of gratitude. And so even with our children and our loved ones, 
I think when something happens to a person, like people always come up and they speak to them and say, hey, man, let me tell you about your father. And let me tell you about your mother, right? If somebody transitions and they pass away, let me tell you about them. And all those things are great, right? It's incredible because it's different people's stories, different people's perspectives. But I want my children and I want my wife, Lord forbid, if something was to happen to me, they can have something that says, hey, man, this is who my father is. This is what he stood for. This is his values, his principles. Like, this is what he valued as a man. This is why he did certain things to us that we may not have understood at the time, but he explained it. And so explaining thought process, explaining what I'm guided by as a man, you know, things like that. I feel like they can have that as they grow and go throughout life. You know, I think it could be like a life guide, right, that they can often refer back to as they go and grow throughout life. And also maybe a book for the rest of us, too. So. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so you have, sure. a pod, you have a podcast called Serendipity. And that word, mm-hmm. it's on your background, and it appears a lot in what you speak about in, in general. Absolutely. Can you tell us what that word means to you and, and why it is resonates yeah. with you? Yeah, it's, um, it's just happenstance, right? Like how we get to the places that we arrive at in life how do things that you may see a person doing, you know, how did that manifest? And so I firmly believe part of success, part of being efficient and effective is asking the right questions, right? And I remember when I was a kid, you know, oftentimes if I saw somebody doing something, I used to think and make the assumption that, oh man, they had to always want to do that, right? But once I got older and I started asking questions about how people got into their careers, how people started down the path that they were on, I would say, man, how did this happen? And a person would tell you a cool story about how something happened and led to another journey in their life and they had to embrace it. You know, how fear played a part, how faith played a part, how uncertainty played a part. And so it's even with me with speaking, I never planned to speak, right? Thought I was going to play ball, injury happened, thought I was going to coach. And a series of events happened that led to me being on the path that I'm on now. And it's just a thing of serendipity. And every single day, I feel like we all encounter it. But I think the key is being cognizant that it's going to happen. And when it happens, being willing to embrace it and roll with it. I think that will speak to a lot of our listeners in general, because we always joke that the job that I have and that a lot of other people have is not something we plan for because there's no college degree to go in and manage a law firm for the most part. And so when so many of our guests tell the stories about how they started out as a receptionist and, and moved up. And we had somebody from the front desk to the corner office and they all tell their stories about this serendipity. And so when I saw that, I thought, wow, "Wow, that is a theme that keeps coming up over and over again from all of our guests about what that little moment is that just changed the trajectory of what they thought they were going to be. I mean, I was going to make, you know, I was going to be in graphic design and then Y2K happened. And now I, I'm glad you're not counting. <laughs> you're, right. glad, you're glad I'm not in marketing. Yeah. <laughs> marketing and sales sound like the worst job ever. I oh, cannot great. imagine. Cannot imagine. If you like wrong. winning, it's great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Got to be built winning. for it, right? Yes. <laughs> well, I don't compete in my job. Both of you have done that in your job, but I yeah. do not. Compete. I have to compete in everything I do. I was bowling yesterday with a group of people and we had to make it a competition, you know, of everything. Of course. Yeah. Hey, Inky, you, you talked about fear and I know I've listened to some of your, um, your, your YouTube videos about the fear of failure. 
Absolutely. How does that fear of failure really play into what you've been able to do and, and how have you overcome it uh, in certain situations? Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's like um, looking at it with the perspective of being fearful if I don't execute, if I don't go out and use the gifts and talents and abilities that I feel like I've been blessed with, if I don't show up and present my best effort, right? It's fearful of the other side of that, what may happen, what may not happen. Uh, a person's life that should be impacted, that may not get impacted if I don't show up the way that I know I'm capable of showing up. And so it's almost like um, when I think about my injury, the reason I could live with what happened to me is because I knew that last play I went out and I gave it everything I had. And so I would have been fearful if I didn't play the game that way and I didn't give everything that I had. If this injury would have happened, it would be hard to live. It would, it would be hard to live with, right? It would be one of these things of, Man, woulda, shoulda, coulda. What if I gave everything I had to it? And so living my life with that same spirit, right? Every time I speak, right? Every time I go into an environment. And it's not one of these things to where I always say to people, I don't wake up every single day and it's like, oh man, happy-go-lucky. I'm feeling great. No, I have my challenges, my trials, my opposition and adversity like everybody else. But it's like, how can I counter it to get to a space and place and get back to my center to where when I do something, Try my best to be present and bring my best. I always say to people, you don't have to always be your best, but just bring me your best, right? Because life happens. We're going to be, some days we're going to be in a zone. We're going to be in a flow state operating at the optimal level. Other days we're going to be injured. Our faith is going to be injured. Our belief is going to be injured. Something is going to happen to a loved one. Something is going to happen in business. We're going to take a gut punch. And so just show up and bring me your best on that day, whatever it is. And so making sure that we bring forth that spirit so we don't have to live with the fear of, man, what if I really would have brought forth my best? What would have happened when things don't turn out in the form and fashion of what we want them to? So, so unpack that a little bit. The, the opportunities, mm -hmm. you know, things happen. You do fail. You know, sometimes Absolutely. people fail it's multiple necessary. times in a row, right? How Absolutely. do you bounce back? How do you deal with that? I think you got, you got to learn from it, right? Failure is a great teacher, but I always say to people, failure is not the opposite of success. It's a part of it. Right. I think failure is one of the most powerful tools that we can encounter as people. Right. As a matter of fact, I'm almost scared of a person that doesn't fail. I think failure produces empathy. I think failure produces perspective. I think failure produces compassion. I think failure helps us as leaders to look at people with a certain level of encouragement, because when a person doesn't fail and if you just have a high level of success all the time, failure is coming. Right. It's like adversity and opposition. It is coming. Right. And I think when you encounter failure along the way, along the journey, it's just about growth and becoming a different version of yourself. And so when you encounter it along the journey, I think it helps you step back and reset, reset at different phases and stages a little bit better than if you get to the mountaintop and you've just been succeeding, succeeding. And when you experience your first blow of opposition and adversity, you may never rebound. You may never like get back up. You may never look at it again with the same perspective, right? Like my favorite quote in the world is Dr. King's quote that says, you judge the true character and caliber of a person, not by where they stand in times of comfort and convenience. You judge the true character and caliber of a person by where they stand in times of challenge and controversy. In other words, when they fail, right? What would the character be then when it doesn't turn out the way they want it to? What would the character be then? And so can we look at it with the right perspective but not only look at it with the right perspective, extract certain things from it. Because if we fail, it happened, right? Acknowledge it for what it is and let's learn from it. 
right? I think you can learn just as much from failure as you can from success, if not more. Rob, Amanda, I'm booking more... him for my next sales. <laughs> I know, I am off. too. No, but what I was thinking is like, <laughs> the, he has such a much more eloquent way of like, you're always telling me, Rob, go find your grind, go find your hustle. And I'm always just kind of rolling my eyes. He has a much more eloquent way of saying, get out and do something, Amanda. Yeah. So get out and do something. Amanda. I, I don't do something. If I think I'm going to fail at it. I mean, let me tell you, I'm very competitive, but if there's a chance I'm not going to succeed, I don't do it. And so, um, oh, wow. yeah. I know, I know I'm going to learn. Can I say something about that? Yes. Cause please. I just, I just, I just got a question from a coach, a high level coach, a division one coach just asked me the same question last week, right? They got fired from a job you know, high level job and was doing well for a long time, had a couple of off seasons, ended up getting fired. And they text me and say, hey, Inc., why am I questioning? Can I do this again? Right. Why am I scared of failure? Why don't I want to coach again? I've been coaching forever. Right. Why now am I questioning? Can I do this? I've been doing it forever. And I was like the fear of failure, man, it paralyzes you. And we all have different value systems right? Like different principles, different things that we're guided by. And I was just saying to him, like the fear of failure, it's not the opposite of success. It's a part of it. Embrace it. It makes you sharper. But this person had all also experienced a lot of success. And this was their first time encountering that level of what they consider failure. You know, and I get into it sometimes. I think sometimes we give words too much power, right? It's just yep. a word with a definition attached to the opposite side of it. But we use it and we grow from it. Inky, I think sometimes too, like I have that fear of failure and I try pushing through it. I've dealt with anxiety, you know, all that. And I think uh, sometimes you have to be able to separate the story you're telling yourself and realize you're the only one telling yourself that story. No one else has that narrative out there. And once you can take that and separate it, uh, then you can kind of push past it and, Mm -hmm. and really go after something. Absolutely, man. And, and, and I think also like to add on to what you're saying, I think sometimes the fun gets lost in what we're yeah. doing, right? Like people just don't have fun with it. It's like, man, like have fun, like loosen up, right? Like have fun with it. And a lot of times when people get back to that space and place to where they're having fun, they're enjoying what they're doing, it shifts their perspective and they get back to the space and place to where they're operating at a high level again, but they put so much pressure on themselves to where I feel as if sometimes it steals the joy and the passion. I think a lot of young professionals too, like that really resonates because they, um, well, just people in general, you know, you're always Absolutely. looking to what my career is going to be. Where is my career going to end? What is that pinnacle? And then Absolutely. for the 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you've forgotten to enjoy that journey and, and getting there in the daily grind. Oh in, my gosh, this hits things. so, like you guys don't even know, this is hitting so hard because that's me. Rob's always like, Amanda, what do you want to do? And I'm like, oh, I have I, I have a goal and a goal and a goal and a goal. And it is all very career oriented about where I want to be next and next and next. And you're right. I sometimes don't take and pause and be grateful for where I have already made it. You know, I mean, we have a podcast that's listened to by tens of listeners. So tens of <laughs> listeners. Tens of listeners. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, what Inky's saying about the journaling, right? And looking back. And, and, you know, taking a period of time, whether it's a day, a week, a month, a quarter and saying, look at all I did. I mean, we, we started doing that a couple of quarters ago and I was like, damn, we do a lot. 
And it's just good to sit back sometimes and appreciate that instead of always looking for what are we going to do next. On one of the on one of the videos I was watching, you told a story about something a teacher once told you. This is kind of shifting gears a little bit about something being a you issue. And I I really took that to heart also in addition to all the rest of the things you say, but because I I deal with that kind of on a daily basis with people who are I work around and I'd love to hear you tell that story for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um you know, I feel like we go through things in life to where sometimes people wrong us or, you know, sometimes it's not your fault if something happens. Sometimes you may encounter something and you can look at it with a certain perspective. And he just introduced this, hey, man, approach things and just look at it with it's always a you issue. Right. And what it was, was approaching things with a level of accountability, extreme ownership and eliminating the excuses. Right. Approaching everything with the perspective of. Hey, if it is to be, it's on me, right? Even if somebody wronged you, the amount of time that you're going to spend trying to fuss and argue with this person, trying to validate your opinion, your perspective, like it's going to take up so much energy that you're not even going to execute and get the thing done that really needs to get done. It's like when you're in a group and you're working with people, right? The problem getting solved is more important than you solving it, right? Like I used to say that to guys all the time in football, the problem getting solved is more important than you solving it. The play getting made is more important than you making the play, right? Because guys want to make the play. They want to be the guy to stand up, to tap the helmet. No, man, this is a strategy. (laughs) We all work together, right? Right. Sometimes the guy that really makes the play happen is not even a guy that the crowd sees. He did something on the ground that nobody saw. But because he did it in the right way, it allowed the guy that actually made the play to make it. And so approaching things with the perspective of extreme ownership, accountability, And even if it happens, I'm going to accept it. I'm going to process it and do my best to get forward and accomplish what it is that I'm trying to accomplish. And so it's just an accountability method to make sure that we're getting things done and we're not spending so much time trying to justify why it didn't happen or if a person did something to us. Not saying that we don't acknowledge what they did, but we're not just going to sit there and go back and forth and play tennis with our tongues and we're going to handle our business and get get past the moment. Your sentence is going from why me to why not me. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. That's it. That's it. That's powerful. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. I'm just sitting this for a little bit. Amanda, what are you learning? (laughs) We want it to be us, right? With success. We want it to be us with success. But with opposition, we don't want it to be us. Right. And so it's always like, it's like, man, why me? Why not you? Right. Yeah. Uh, what am I learning, Rob? Well, um, that I like to win individually. And so I, I'm really going to focus on the team win concept. Like I'm going <laughs> to sit with that this week alone. Like the, the, you know, even in something small, like we as a group are able to get this done and it doesn't matter that my name isn't the first on the project all going through school. If we had a group project, my name was always first. And I'd say it's alphabetical by first name. and has nothing to do with the fact that I did all the work. And mm. so I go for that personal, you know, that's what I sit in, right? The personal glory. And so um, I'm going to try to focus on that this week. It's, it's already Wednesday. So <laughs> no. wish me luck. <laughs> it's going to be so- a very short week. So Amanda and I are, you know, lucky. We're both in the position where we get to lead and we get to lead people. 
And um, one thing that you had said that resonated with both Amanda and me was we're all in the people business. Every day we have a chance to impact someone. Talk about that. Yeah, I feel like at the end of the day, the X factor in whatever we do, um, whatever Mm -hmm. line of business we're in, um, whatever sport we play, um, if it's education, the X factor is people, right? We're all coming in contact with people. We're all doing something that directly or indirectly affects people. And I feel as if oftentimes, if we're not focused on what truly matters, we get diverged in terms of our focus and our perspective. And then it starts to challenge why we do what we do. And so I always say to people in life, people don't burn out quick and underachieve because of what they do. People burn out quick and underachieve because life makes them forget why they do it. And so if they get focused on the transaction, if they get focused on the results, if they get focused on the outcome, if they get focused on something superficial or materialistic, you forget about the people, right? That you've been called to affect and impact. You forget about why you really do what you do. You forget about the purpose and the mission of why you show up every single day. It's like with my children, I don't focus on the scoreboard. I don't focus on results. I don't focus on wins and losses. I focus on individual progression. I focus on what can we do better today to impact you and how you develop, which ultimately impacts your team, impacts your friends, impacts your family. And so every single day, taking away the outcome, taking away the results, so we can challenge our focus and our perspective. Can we show up with our character? Can we show up with our integrity and operate at a high level? And so that's that's why I approach things that way. That's why I believe in that train of thought and subscribe to it. Because I feel as if oftentimes when we get burned out and we underachieve, it's not that we don't have the skill set and the talent and the ability to accomplish whatever it is that we're seeking to accomplish. I feel as if our perspective about what we're doing has changed. Do your kids play sports? Yes. Yes. Both what, of them. Absolutely. What do they play? Are they four son, sport stars? No, 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 no. My son, he's, uh, he's baseball and basketball and my daughter is lacrosse. And uh, she does the competitive cheer. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. I was thinking the same thing, Amanda, like just listening to how I speak to my kids versus listening to you speak here and how you probably parent. I mean, night and day. (laughs) I know. Can you compare it? My 11 year old for just a little bit. (laughs) No, you're good. You're good. It's taken me a while to get there. You know, my wife has helped me a lot, you know, because she worked in education with small kids. And so oftentimes I would, I would often refer to her like, Hey, how should I approach this? Cause I was so used to dealing with my guys in sports and guys, my age to where you can come direct, you can come hard, you yeah. can come raw to where when you get with kids, it's almost like you got to change your method. And it's almost like a sense of reverse psychology and psychological education that you have to approach to get them to look at things the right way. You can't just bang them on the head and say, good right. job. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki, no. you, find- you can't even slap them on the butt anymore either. Oh, like- oh, no. <laughs> it's over. It's over. Inky, I'm going off script a little bit, but how do you find balance between professional and at home? Yeah, so I struggled uh, for a while, man, early in my career. So I've been blessed to come into my 16th year speaking. But um, I struggled. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, I missed a lot of things and, um, you know, I got to a point to where, you know, I was, I was just running because of how I grew up 
You know, I was running from a lot of the things that I experienced as a kid, right? Because I didn't want my family to have to experience those things. And so one day I just had like a, a revelation, man. I was at a small group at a retreat and a guy was asking us in a circle. He's like, hey, what's some things that you're running from from your childhood or growing up? And different gentlemen were just asking, answering the question. And he got to me. And I was like, I'm running from poverty. Mm-hmm. And he's just saying, he was like, are you in poverty? I was like, no. He was like, stop running. And then he went to the next guy, right? And it was simplistic, <laughs> right? <laughs> it was simplistic, right? But when I got to my room that night, I was like, man, he's right, right? I'm running from this thing that's creating a lot of damage with my decision-making, with my choices, mm-hmm. that's directly in affecting and impacting my family. And so now I'm in a space and place of understanding that, man, if you work hard, if you do what you're supposed to do, you're going to get what's coming to you, right? Like I live by the law of reciprocity. You get what you give. You do right. You treat people right. You get that back. And so living my life with that level of faith, um, it's worked out really well, but also living my life by my value system, by my principles of understanding certain things that I'm just not going to compromise on anymore because of what's more important than that moment, than that engagement. You know, I missed a gig with Uber once in Chicago because my kid had, you know, an obligation. And I could tell you, I really wanted to do that gig, that gig <laughs> right? It, it challenged me, but, yeah. you know, I was a lot happier and I had a lot more peace that I honored what I said I was going to honor as a father and as a husband. It hasn't been easy by any stretch. But it's taken a while to get there, but I feel like I'm in a good place with it. It it's interesting you you talk about this um, running from poverty. My best friend Tina and I had this conversation last night. She and I both grew up very very poor, and we talked about how there were times when we had to know where our next can of corn was coming from, not our next meal. Mm-hmm. Right? Like there were six of us, and how are we going to do that? And we see that manifest in our adult lives because we're constantly. Oh, going in excess, right? Like we have, I have a pantry that has too much food because I was afraid of not having enough food. And I'll take my children to a theme park and buy them all the toys because I never even got to go to a theme park. And so it's, it's interesting. You talk about running from those demons, right? Because I still do that. I overachieve because I'm afraid of being back there where I was, right? I will work harder than I probably need to so that my kids never have to wonder where's their next meal coming from or where's their, why do their friends get this that they don't get? And so um, I really appreciate that you brought that up. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. Okay. So you've been doing professional speaking for 16 years and mm-hmm. you know, I, I love to be the center of attention as you can tell. So I don't have <laughs> as many problems <laughs> standing up in front of people and telling them exactly what I think, but can you give some tips for people who might be trying to either get into that or just standing up in front of a small group of people and speaking? How did you overcome some of that? No, it was, it was tough. And I, I never thought I would be doing it. Like they put me in public speaking in college. I dropped the class on the second day. I was terrified. <laughs> I was like, man, I'll never, I was like, I'll never do that. And so it just speaks to like life, right? Life and life's plans. Like life is funny. But um, I would say preparation is one of the things that's helped me, you know, studying the audience, studying the people that you feel like you're called to serve, uh, studying things about them. Because I feel like when you prepare properly, you step up with a level of confidence. It's just like in sports. 
if you study your opponent and you prepare properly, you step up with a level of confidence. It's just like in corporate education. I think preparation instills a certain level of confidence that helps us to execute when we're doing what we're doing. But also, I feel like, man, care. Care about what you're doing. I think in any line of work, uh, in any line of business, it's very easy to get into the rut and the routine of, all right, I show up, I do this, I'm gone, right? Get in the routine of, I show up, I do this, I get paid, I'm gone. Whatever the case may be, it becomes so transactional because a person has done it so long. And so always remembering why you started, always remembering those key moments. So when you step into a room, understand that people are being impacted on the other side of your words, right? Not saying, I don't believe like I can change someone's life. I'm not one of these speakers that step on the stage and be like, I'm gonna change someone's life. No, if a person is gonna change, they're gonna change on their own dime. Now I can say something that may spark a thought that may encourage a level of change, but a person is gonna do the work. And so understanding that the words that we speak, they impact and they shape people's lives. And so never stepping into a room and not having a level of empathy, not having a level of encouragement, not having a level of inspiration and motivation behind what you do, but ultimately not having a level of gratitude. Always be grateful for the moment and experience. Inky, do you, do you, you know, do you ever get up right before you're about to speak and have that moment of panic? I mean, you're, you're talking about speaking to Uber and stuff like that. Do you ever have that, that fear? Oh, I used to. Yeah, yeah I used to. Oh man, a couple of years in, I used to always, like I would be a wreck. It would be like before a game, man. I would be like, emotions would be everywhere. And then that first word would almost be like that first hit in a football yeah. game. Once you get that first hit out of the way, you're like, all right, cool, let's go. All right, I got it. <laughs> you get that first word and I'd be like, all right, cool, let's go. But now, uh, because I've been doing it for a while, you know, I got my method, I got my preparation down to where it's like, all right, cool, let's go. But yeah, early in my career, I would, man, people would talk about like being nervous in their stomach. I, I just feel like an eagle was in my freaking stomach, man. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. I think it's authenticity, right, is what you're saying. Like if you, if you want to go out and speak to people, being authentic and being your, your true self is like your first key. Because if you have mastery of the material and then your, your authentic self and you believe in what you're saying, to me, those are the three first keys. People focus so much on the, what do I do with my hand while I'm speaking? Do yeah. I walk or do I not walk? Do I have my PowerPoint or do I not have the PowerPoint? And I think when I teach people that some of those technical skills will come if you can get the first three down and I'm not a professional speaker by any means, but that's what I put in my head. Um, and you know, I, I can, I can, I hear what you're saying. and I think it's great advice. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, so Amanda it, likes to, she, she came and presented to my sales team, right? Because my sales team's calling administrators like uh, herself. And she put this whole presentation together on how to connect with, administrators, how to sell in the legal profession. And then her last slide was, I'll never pick up your phone call. <laughs> the title of the speech was, Sweet. the Sweet. title of the speech was it. how to get me on the phone. Right. And so the whole speech Sweet. is like t telling about selling to me. And then the very last slide was, okay, I'm going to tell you, here's how you get me on the phone. And the joke was, you, I'm never going to pick up the call. Like, <laughs> I Rob, it. I think I, I actually... It. I actually have a bet with one of Rob's inside sales people that he can't find a lie to get me on the phone. 
and mm. it's been going for a couple of months now so it's like a hundred dollars yeah. he says he's playing laying low and he's gonna get me when he least expect it but um that actually is a good transition to so the way that we know you is you were going to be speaking at the association of legal administrators annual conference that happens in may and it's in Kissimmee, which is i'm in orlando so it's not too far from here and you are what we call our brazina memorial speaker and so your your session is a keynote and it talks about i think i'm hoping you're we're going to hear a lot more great things from you but i wanted to pitch that because i want our listeners to to know that's coming and to be excited and have you thought about what message you're going to deliver to us yeah preview uh, briefly yeah 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 briefly um but you know it's going to be centered around a lot about what we spoke about but a lot of times when i go in to speak you know, I know you guys talk a lot about your business. Whenever there's a conference or an event, I know people do the intricacies and the work of their business. And so when I come, I almost come with the perspective of, you know, sometimes you can't see the picture when you're in a frame. And so looking at it more so from a macro and a micro perspective and coming in and not only sharing my story, but interconnecting it with different stories that I feel could resonate well in terms of the line of business that you all are in, but also just big picture in everyday life. Because I feel like a lot of times, the simple intricacies of life, we often don't think about a lot. Like I tell people all the time, I don't look at my career as what I do on the stage. I look at what I do in terms of when I step off the stage. My career in terms of public speaking, people always think about it as, man, you spoke to this group. You spoke to this group. You were on the stage. I look at my career in terms of what I do when I step off the stage, when I'm in the airport, how I value people. When I'm somewhere at a store and somebody comes up to me and say, hey, man, I greatly appreciate your video. I watched it with my son. Do I stop? Do I show a level of compassion? Do I engage right. in dialogue? Or do I say, all right, cool, and I keep it pushing? And so looking at things with a different perspective, approaching things with a different perspective, and driving home that message in both an efficient and an effective way, but also just the art of communication, right? Knowing which stories pull on certain emotions. Right. Knowing what stories that I need to pull out in terms of that relay a level of conviction, knowing what stories I need to pull out that relay a level of laughter, knowing what stories I need to pull out that relay a level of encouragement and empathy. And so making sure I'm going into it from that angle and that perspective and driving home that message. Should I, should this be one of the days when I don't wear mascara? Is this like, do I need a mascara <laughs> warning day? <laughs> it'll be good. It'll be good. They it'll always good. make me cry. I, I'm a secondary crier. And so if it's something is emotional at all, I'm like hard exterior and then any emotions at all, boom, waterworks. So I'll have to bring like a touch up yeah. in or something. I, I gosh. It. Tears the, of joy. Uh, it will be tears of joy. And I mean, I well, I, if I have a takeaway from today, sometimes you can't see the picture when you're in the frame. You went through Absolutely. that so quickly, but wow, like that is, that's so powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. So we, um, we end up every one of our episodes with a segment we call pitch your passion. And I was thinking mm -hmm. about this for you and I'm like, this, that's all he is, is passion. So how are you <laughs> going to pick one thing to be passionate about? But um, mm -hmm. hopefully you have something you can pitch for us. I've already done your podcast, but if you want to do that as well, you can. Yeah. So, um, if I could pitch my passion, it would be helping homeless, right? I feel okay. like we live in a country to where it's a ton of homeless and the angle that I want to pitch your passion from 
is a different angle. And so uh, me and my family, we serve at a place called my sister's house, a downtown Atlanta under the Atlanta mission. And uh, they help homeless and it's a transition program. And so I'll never forget the first time we went, um, you know, we stood out in a circle and we spoke before we went into the shelter. And I just wanted everyone's perspective. And, you know, people were sharing their perspective. Oh man, irresponsible uh, drugs, you know, they need to get up, handle their business. And that's cool. Whatever a person's perspective is, that's their perspective. They have every right to it. And when we went into the shelter and you started talking to people, um, you know, the first gentleman we bumped into, he was like, man, I lost my family in a house fire. You know, I have a job, I'm working, I'm transitioning out, right? Bumped into a lady with her daughter. She was like, hey, I'm running from abuse. This is the only place I can go. They can't post pictures online. Uh, he can't find me. I'm working and I'm transitioning out. And so it was a lot of people that was in the process of life that was trying to get back on their feet. But also if the situation is safe, right? Not saying because some situations you can go out on the street, they're just not safe and you got to play that card how you need to play it. But I think when you talk to people and you hear some people's stories, right? It makes people human and it makes you evaluate your life and your story and how you're going about things. And so when I say helping homeless, I'm not saying just giving a person's money. I'm saying sometimes it could be words. Sometimes it could be a few dollars. Sometimes it could be connecting them to a program. One of my buddies has a program here in Atlanta to where he helps homeless. And he got a guy off the street. He cleaned him up, helped him get a haircut. And he walked with him with a sandwich board, right, on the street that said, hire Mark, right? I did a, a podcast about a guy named Terrence Lester. He walked with this guy on the street all day with a sandwich board that said, hire Mark. And somebody ended up giving a guy a job. Guy ended up working. It changed his life. And that's not going to be every story. But the purpose is to look at people and understand that we all go through things. We all go through tough, rough patches. We all encounter adverse and opposition. But when we look at a person, can we look at a person with less judgment and more empathy and more compassion? And so if I could pitch my passion, that would be what it is. I feel like people are going to have to listen to this episode like 10 times. I know, I know. You're going to help our download numbers, but there's so much for, for people to unpack. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you guys so much for the opportunity. Looking forward to joining. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Most Illegal Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can also check us out online on MostlyLegalPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list, get weekly recaps, and get some of your very own Mostly Legal swag.